This is the Coach's Wife Life Podcast, where Kristen Urgel, a longtime TV sports reporter and college football coach's wife, goes one-on-one with her fellow coaches' wives. We will uncover the stories of the strong women who are the backbone of college athletics and athletics of all levels. And now, Coach's Wife Life. I'm completely honored and thrilled to have Dr. Carolyn Curry. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Your husband, Bill Curry, is a legend in the sport of college football. He was the head coach at Alabama, Kentucky, Georgia State, but he might play second fiddle to your accomplishments. Dr. Curry, you're an author, historian, researcher, founder of a nonprofit, Empowering Women. When you look back, at both of your careers, what are you most proud of? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm proud of both of our careers in that we were able to survive it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. The reason I got into going back to graduate school and studying history was because Bill was gone all the time. And I think any coach's wife understands that. Um, they work ungodly hours and um, he would leave it five in the morning and come back at 10 at night sometimes. Uh, not every day, but most days. And my children started to school and I felt like I had to do something and I wanted to do something. And strangely enough, I'd always loved school. And a lot of people say, why, do you, why did you do this? Even when I was going to graduate school when Bill was a coach, I say, I do it because I like it and I enjoy it and I want to have my own identity. Um, and I would go and take classes and I would, I would, you know, I never, I just said my name. I didn't say I was the coach's wife. I was just there <laughs> anonymously. And a lot of times uh, so when he was also the head coach of Georgia Tech, I don't think you mentioned that here in Atlanta, but Georgia Tech and Georgia State are both in Atlanta. And he was the head coach at Georgia Tech. And I was taking graduate courses at Georgia State. They didn't have a football team then. But that's when I went anonymously and took history courses just because I wanted to have something that was mine that kept me busy because there were so many hours in the day and um, I didn't have any hobbies particularly. So you might say that taking classes became my hobby and then I finished my master's, but it's, it's been meaningful. It's really, it's helped us. I stayed busy and I didn't watch the clock thinking, when's he going to get home, you know, (laughs) and then he would come, come in the door and I'd tell him about what I'd done. And he told me about what he had done. And, um, that worked out well. For sure. Now, I love that story. I love the fact that you just went in there anonymously. When you're a coach's wife, especially at Georgia Tech, University of Alabama, or even the University of Kentucky, all of these, or even in a small community, everyone is so engrossed in football. And, you know, when you go to buy gas, you go to the grocery store or something like that, uh, they'd say, we're going to win this year. And, you know, you finally just want to be anonymous. And, um, and so I just would take courses and like halfway through the course, sometimes somebody would say, oh, are you Coach Curry's wife or something like that? And I'd say yes. And then that was fine, too. But I just like being myself for a while. But um, the, the, your question really was, what am I really proud of the accomplishments? But when I say that we made it, um, it was a long, hard road because he Bill played in the National Football League for 10 years and then he coached for like, gosh, I don't even know how many years, 20 years. And then he did ESPN broadcasting for 11 years. And um, that is a lot of hours, a lot of traveling, a lot of time being apart. 
And um, as I said, I got busy so that I didn't worry about the time apart. Um, but I'm, I'm proud of the way we, we both were able to do something that we were passionate about. And I think that's very important for people's happiness. Like you might get back into something when your children grow up. Or my children, I, I waited until my children got in preschool, and then I'd go take one course. <laughs> and then as they got older, I'd take two. Uh, so it took me a long time to get finished. But um, I'm happy that I could find a way to do it and that our marriage worked out. Believe it or not, last uh, Friday, we celebrated our 56th wedding anniversary. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, Congratulations. We got married we got married when we were juniors in college. Uh, so we got married young. We were 20 when we got married. Now we're 76. So uh, we've both had very active careers all of these years. And we're still both very active. So I'm very, I'm proud of that and thankful for that. For sure. Now, you started an organization called Women Alone Together. Tell me a little bit about that and what led you to start that organization? Well, as I said, I always liked to be busy when Bill was coaching and took courses and got my PhD. When he went to the University of Kentucky and was coaching there, I was actually asked by one of the deans who heard me speak to teach a course at the university called Women in Contemporary Society. And I told her, golly, I'm a historian. Uh, you want me to talk about women in contemporary society? And she said, yes. That's what you said in your talk. You talked about the history of women and what happened to women in the past and where we are today and how the past relates to the present. And that's exactly what I had talked about. And she says, build your course around that. So I then got into a lot of contemporary issues that women face in our culture. And um, uh, one of the things that happened when I was teaching this course is women in their 60s and 70s started auditing my classes mm. and they were auditing my classes they could do it free of charge as you can at many large universities and they were coming because when they were in school there was no such thing as women's history mm. or women's studies and they wanted to learn about women's lives women's history but they also were reinventing their life after loss some of them were recent widows. Uh, a couple of them had been divorced. Um, but they wanted to do meaningful things. And they wanted to learn. They wanted to meet younger women. They just wanted to have an interesting life. And so I got very interested in that group of women and invited them out to my house for cover dish dinner and talking to them. And I realized there was a need there. And so that was where it started when I was at the University of Kentucky informally and then when we moved back down to Atlanta I started partnering with my college my undergraduate college and woman's college Agnes Scott and started uh, partnering with them and doing seminars and we became a 501c3 nonprofit, and we own the trademark on the name and all that stuff that you have to do when you start right. a nonprofit. but we've been going for 16 years Wow! and so uh, it came out of that experience at the University of Kentucky Absolutely incredible. Now, what are some of the events that you do together with this organization? Well, we do seminars in three different areas, um, health and wellness, emotional, personal growth, and legal financial. Um, we're trying to, we've narrowed it down to those three areas because that's where women need help. 
um, health and wellness. Women often don't take care of themselves late in life because they've been taking care of somebody else that's been sick. But all women, as they age, need to uh, be aware of their health just so that we can live longer and healthier lives. And then emotional, personal growth. We have counselors that come in and do programs about issues, especially around the holidays, because Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, these holidays are so difficult, especially if you've lost a loved one or if you've gone through a divorce. And then the uh, other area is legal financial. And we bring in financial planners, elder care attorneys um, to help them with legal aspects and financial aspects, because very often somebody else have taken care of that for them. Um, some, you know, some women just don't aren't interested in that, and they let their husbands do all of it. And then suddenly, when they die, then they have to do everything themselves. So, um, but when I say all of this, our emphasis is all on the future. It's about going ahead with life, uh, reinventing your life, having a meaningful, enjoyable life. And then one thing that comes out of that is a book group that meets once a month and we meet in this large banquet room in a restaurant and very often we'll have the authors. We've had New York Times bestselling authors come and um, we have 40 or 50 women and the author will be there. If we don't have an author, we'll usually have a professor to lead a book discussion. And if you go on our website, you can see the books we've done in 16 years and what we're doing this year is really fascinating. A woman's coming actually from France in January really? <laughs> to do a book because she's gonna be, well, she's gonna be visiting in Atlanta, but I was able to get her while she was here visiting. But sometimes we get authors on their tours. Last month, we had a woman from Oregon who was in Atlanta on her East Coast tour. So we really have good authors and the women love that. They're just fascinating. They read the books first and come, and I think they've learned a lot. And uh, but it also gives them an enjoyable night out. And then we just have a fun outing. We we're doing a luncheon and a tour at the Atlanta History Center in January, and we've gone to the botanical gardens, and you know we've gone to various interesting sites around Atlanta. So those are just to build community, um, and those have been fun too. So. Um, that's in a nutshell what we do. That's absolutely fascinating. I'm just, I'm blown away. This is so unique. <laughs> I love it. Um, you've written a book, Suffer and Grow Strong. What piqued your interest about writing this book? Okay, it is um, Suffer and Grow Strong, The Life of Ella Gertrude Clanton Thomas, 1834 to 1907. Uh, that's a woman you've never heard of, but she is a fascinating woman of the 19th century who lived in Georgia. And there are so many women who have been forgotten who lived in the 19th century because women were supposed to be private, to live in the private sphere and not be public. And this woman was born in 1834 into great wealth in Augusta, Georgia. Her father owned 12,000 acres of land, six plantations. She kept a diary for 41 years. And she talked about um, her life as a young girl and the carefree life that she had. And then when the war came, the Civil War came, they lost everything. And her life was turned upside down. And she was able to find herself after the war. And she devoted herself to helping women after the war. And she became very interested in the women's rights movement and the early suffrage movement in the state of Georgia. And 
in the conservative South, that was very radical, and it took great strength uh, for these women to fight for the vote for women. And she was president of the Georgia Women's Suffrage in 1899. And, um, and she says in her book, when they had lost everything, when the soldiers came and invaded their home, and she was so devastated and went through such depression, she said, I wish I could be some strong, intelligent woman, a woman who had suffered and grown strong. Mm. And she did meet the strongest women of her age. She met Susan B. Anthony and Anna Howard Shaw and all these other women that came south trying to help the suffrage movement in the south, but she became that woman herself. Uh, that she she wanted to meet a woman who had suffered and grow strong, and she became that woman. And she has been an inspiration to me personally and to a lot of women who've read my book. How did you ever hear of her story? What made you want to continue research? Well, when I was in graduate school, uh, I took Southern history. And remember, this is before you had women's history courses and women's studies courses. This is back in the 70s. But every time I took a course, I would look for a woman to write my paper. In, in every seminar, we'd have to do a paper. And I built up... Um, uh, a, a knowledge of on my own of doing research. And when it came time to do a dissertation, which it was going to take me several years to do, and it's just essentially you're writing a book, I wanted to find a woman that I could do a biography of. And I wanted, my professor said, find some subject that will intrigue you for several years because you're going to be working on this for so long. You've got to find an interesting woman. And you've got to find the resources. And mm-hmm. if you're going to write somebody's life story that lived 100 years ago, you're going to have to have letters. But this woman kept a diary for 41 years. Wow. And that diary is in the Duke Library. So I went up to the library at Duke and was able to buy a transcript of that 41-year diary. It was 15 volumes, 450,000 words. So I plowed through that, yeah, for several years. And um, because I'm a coach's wife and I'm giving luncheons and I'm going to games and I'm doing all that. So I do it as I can. So it took me years. It took me much longer than it would a normal graduate student. But I, people say, how long did you work on this book when they see all the research I did? I would say, gosh, four years, I don't know, several years, definitely four or five years. But I had to go back into legal records, legal uh, will, deeds, and newspaper articles, um, this 41-year diary. And then she kept 15 scrapbooks that are in the hands of her descendants. And I interviewed her descendants, and I saw those scrapbooks. And when I say scrapbooks, it's not a scrapbook like we think of a scrapbook. She put newspaper articles and things she had done. And it would be like if you kept a scrapbook of your husband's games wow. and where he went and who he played. So she had these scrapbooks of where she had gone traveling for women and went to, you know, Arkansas and she went to Tennessee and she did this or that. And it was a great help to me there. So, um, I had this wonderful, wonderful, uh, these wonderful resources, but it would just took so long to go through all of them. But I finally did, published it actually as a dissertation in 87, but I had never published it as a book until a few years back um, because I was so busy. And Mm -hmm. so finally I did get it published and um, uh, it's done well. It got some awards and I'm very proud of it. I'm just 
so intrigued by your work ethic, by your research. How has this book impacted you? <laughs> well, a lot of people say that. They, they say that they think that I identify with this woman, and I might because I think she, she had a work ethic, and she was interested in many of the same things that I'm interested in. And um, she has, I've said she's been an inspiration to me, because, but I don't know what I would have done and I say this to women all the time, be thankful that you li you're living in the 20th century or the 21st century when you have your babies because she had 10 babies and four died mm. because these women did not have any birth control mm. and they were pregnant all the time. She would be pregnant at the same time her mother was pregnant. Her mother had 11 children and they always had babies dying and it was so devastating when they died. And a lot of women died in childbirth in that period of history. So she suffered through all of those things. And she writes a lot about pregnancy and her children dying in the diary. And you appreciate how, and she got depressed. You know, she got, she got depressed when they lost everything, when they went from wealth to poverty. Um, but she had some kind of inner strength where she kept coming back. She could come out of her depression. She could come back. And, and a lot of it was because she could devote herself to her work and helping other women. And I think a lot of women find that when they go through difficult times, if they can turn outward instead of inward. And she was able to do that. And I, I try to do that in my life. You know, how can we help other women and don't be so absorbed with our lives, but think about other women's lives. And um, anyway, you'll have to read the book. <laughs> That's powerful yeah, yeah. wisdom right there. You've won many uh, awards. One of them, the Georgia's Writers Association Author of the Year. You're a distinguished alumnus of Georgia State. What's been key to accomplishing so much success over the course of your life? I don't know. I guess I'm a workaholic. <laughs> no, I do. I do love, I love school and I love work. And it's really funny. My kids used to say, mom, do you ever sit down? And uh, I'm sitting down more than I used to. But you know, when you're a coach's wife, you've got a thousand things to do anyway. You do. And then when you add going to graduate school, I used to tell my kids, I'd say, okay, we're going to do our homework now. And I would read while my kids were doing their homework. And I'd sit in the carpool line and I'd be reading, uh, you know, something I needed to read for history and stuff like that. So they saw me all their lives studying, writing papers, going to classes. And then my daughter did the same thing. She got her PhD in English. And I think part of it is because that she saw what I would, I did. And so she sort of followed in my footsteps and that's been very gratifying to me. Um, but it's, I like to stay busy and um, sometimes you can get swamped and you have to juggle things. But when you, it's the solving of those problems and working things out, it's very satisfying. So um, I can't say how I've been able to do it, but I guess I'm just a, a glutton for punishment. I like to work. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think there's, there's a lesson in that. If you can find your passion, mm -hmm. find something you're passionate about. You know, and it might be painting. It might be. I used to tell, this is what I would tell the women at the Coaches Association when I've spoken to them. Always leave a part of your life for yourself. Um, you know, if, if you 
love your husband and you go to all the games, you support the team, you love the team, you love your children and you do all the things you can for them, but don't forget to do something for yourself. And this is your podcast is an example of that. You're doing something that is yours, something for yourself. And that's important to you and you get satisfaction from it. And I think that's important for all women. And so that's part of my message, you know, to <laughs> don't lose yourself. Don't lose yourself. Don't lose your identity. Always know who you are. And then you'll be happier and then your husband will be happier and then your kids will be happier too. <laughs> so you are touching. You just made me cry. <laughs> I, that's such, <laughs> such good advice. You're right. This is what this podcast is about. It's about turning outward. It's about helping yeah, otherwise, yeah. encouraging others while I'm currently going through different struggles and things throughout life. You know, well, I know part. that, I mean, you have told me a little bit about your life and I, I, I don't know that much about what your husband does or your family yet, but um, every coach's life I have ever known, um, it takes a certain amount of dedication. These men are so passionate about their jobs and, um, okay, you know, you can be passionate about your job and I'm going to be passionate about my job or what I'm interested in and you, you make it work. Um, and, um, everybody's happier. You know, that old saying, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. That's true. <laughs> mama That's should true. be happy too. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. Okay. So <laughs> when and where did you meet Bill Curry? Okay. You're not going to believe this. I met Bill Curry in the fourth grade. Are you serious? <laughs> So yes, two years true. from now, really my is. daughter could meet her husband, possibly. That <laughs> that's right. I met Bill in the fourth grade, and we had the same fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade teachers. So we knew each other as children. But I was taller than he was, and I could outrun him at the time. That. I was a fast grower. And Bill says he was just this little chubby kid, um, but he was not really that little chubby. And, but he was, I was taller than he was at one point because I got that growing spurt. And then in around the seventh or eighth grade, I quit growing and he kept growing. And um, we went to the same high school, College Park, Georgia. And then he grew about a foot and then all the older boys graduated, you know, so mm -hmm. senior year the seniors that were there that had been kids growing up together, you know, started dating and hanging out together because I had always liked the guys that were about a year or two older than me because, you know, they were taller than me and girls mature faster than boys. But I think Bill sort of caught up and we started dating our senior year in high school. Then he went to Georgia Tech and I went to Agnes Scott. They're both in Atlanta and we got married our junior year. And as I said, we just celebrated our 56th wedding anniversary, believe it or not. And um, so um, we, I've traveled all over the country with him. And if, we figured out the other day that I had gone to over 700 football games. And um, but, Yeah, because if you think about it, he played high school ball. I saw all his high school games. I saw his college games. Then he was in professional football for 10 years, and I – I saw an awful lot of those games. I didn't see all the out-of-town games, but then he went into coaching for so many years, and I was at all those games that I could be at, and then even when he was doing broadcasting for ESPN, sometimes I would go with him. So it's been over 700 games, and so now I only go, <laughs> I go to my grandson's football games um, if they are playing, and then I, if he is invited back to a school for a special event, I go, but 
uh, we don't go to that many football games now. At least I don't. He goes to a few more than I do. But I feel like I've done my share. <laughs> Definitely. Now, you, you <laughs> mentioned his career. I mean, you've been on the sideline watching this entire thing unfold. It's been, he's had a, a tremendous amount of success. Is there a few memories that just stand out to you that you cherish right now? Well, I could, it would take, I would spend all afternoon telling you about special events, but I will say this, that um, Bill and I did not expect for him to play professional football. He was going to go into the Army when he graduated from Georgia Tech. He was in ROTC. And suddenly he got drafted as a future his junior year by the Green Bay Packers. Now, they don't draft futures anymore, but back then they did. So they can't, that meant that he couldn't be drafted as a senior because he was already the prop, he had already been drafted by the Green Bay Packers. That year, his last game, the Packers sent a coach to take Bill to, and me to Dallas to see the Dallas Cowboys play the Green Bay Packers. And I sat in the stands with Marie Lombardi and Bill was on the sidelines with coach Lombardi (laughs) and they took Bill down there. And here is a kid, you know, they didn't even expect that he was going to play football professionally, had not planned on it. And suddenly you are swept into professional football within the Packers back then were being called the greatest team ever. And they had uh, won so many championships. And then his Bill's first year with the Packers, they won the world championship. That was the last year that they did not have the Super Bowl. And then the next year they played in the first Super Bowl game in Los Angeles, Super Bowl one, and won that game. And Bill was the starting center in that game. And um, people love to have Bill talk about Super Bowl one. And that was really fun because I was, pregnant with our daughter our first child and um, went to Los Angeles I can remember the red dress I wore and everything uh, you know now we would be sure to have on a green dress for Green Bay but <laughs> I, I had on a red dress and yeah but anyway it was um, that was really fun and of course the Super Bowl we, he played in Super Bowl one three and five and um, he was traded to the Baltimore Colts but those two teams were the winningest teams in football at that time. One point, because Bill had been traded from Green Bay to Baltimore, he, Green Bay and Baltimore were big, big rivals back then. And Bill never played in a losing team. Mm. His team always won, whether he was for Baltimore, playing at Baltimore after he got traded or Green Bay. So people used to laugh and say he had the rabbit's foot. <laughs> but he was just really lucky about who he played with. And that's not always true. You know, you could have been drafted by a team that was really down and you might never go to the Super Bowl. And we have friends that weren't lucky enough to do that. But Bill was just lucky of the teams that he played with. And then, of course, while he went back to coaching at Georgia Tech, he went back to his alma mater, was his first head coaching job for seven years. And that was great. And there were games there that I can remember you know, 85, a great team that's so long ago. But, um, and then he went to the University of Alabama and those were fun years. And then at Kentucky for seven. And um, and then he started the Georgia State team from scratch. Mm. They didn't have a football. 
<laughs> so that was an adventure starting off from scratch. Very different from being on those teams that are so well established. But that was gratifying too because they're always the wonderful players that you get to know and you follow them their whole lives. And uh, Bill hears from them all the time now. And that's the great thing about being our age and having coached all these years. Um, he'll get an email or a note. Our player will come to town and he'll have coffee with them. But he, he communicates with his former players regularly. That's a great thing. What's one of your favorite memories as a coach's wife? Can you, did something stand out? One of the. <laughs> well, I got a game ball one time. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> yeah. And I can't, I don't even remember which game it was, but um, um, I think we were at Kentucky and we, uh, I don't know if we'd be Georgia, LSU or somebody. And it was my birthday, so they gave me a game ball. That was really, that was really sweet. That's a big and, honor. Um, I've never gotten a game ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's in the, it's in the den. I don't know. I'd have to go look at the date and all that. Now, what advice would you share with a younger coach's wife about handling the demands that we juggle from working, motherhood, you know, and mostly doing it alone? I've already said one of the things that I, I'm just. Um, so adamant about I'm adamant that all women do it is to not just be Mrs. Coach um, you know leave a part of your time for yourself you can do all the other things but uh, um, have some time to do what's important to you or to develop your talent uh, you know it might be taking a class and I did it very slowly I would only have time to you know, I'd take my kids to school, and when they were in preschool, I'd run, take a class, and then I'd run back and pick them up at noon. I mean, that's how I did it But at first. But then as they got older, I had more time of my own. But you can do something, whether it's a hobby or a part-time job. And I knew a lot of women, young women today have careers more than women back then in our era. Most of the coaches' wives back in my era were stay-at-home moms. Um, but I've talked at younger wives, to younger wives that, you know, continue their careers too. And, um, and then I laughingly said this at a coach's meeting one time. And I said, you give up so much and you work so hard for your husband. I, I, I said this sort of in jest, but it went over well. I said, make sure he's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and that. It sort of implies make sure he appreciates you. I mean, you know, right. uh, make sure he's worth it. And I did have a woman come up to me crying after that. She says, I don't know if it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you give up a lot. You take care you of do. a lot. And, um, you know, they should appreciate it. And most of them do. I mean, uh, you know, um, but uh, they should appreciate you for all you do. Uh, I, laughing, I used to laughingly say that, in our family, Bill took care of the important thing, football. And I took care of everything else, the house, the children. <laughs> I, know. I paid bills. And I told him, yes. he would ask, now, where's, where's the screwdriver? Uh, you know, I would have to tell him where things were. Uh, but maintenance of the house, get the grass cut, um, you know, just right. do everything. And I, I um, most of our homes. <laughs> Yeah, and you go and pick out a house if you move around, and I moved uh, a lot. Um, you know, we went from Green Bay to Baltimore 
uh, in professional football, Houston, Los Angeles. Then he started at Georgia Tech, and then we went to Alabama, then we went to Kentucky. You're buying and selling houses, and uh, I could write a book about moving. Uh, I haven't. I don't want to. But, you know, I've become very expert on how to move and uh, given a lot of advice. But moving is a part of it, and you handle it. Then you sell the house. And at one time, Bill left to go to Green Bay. Let's see. He went to Green Bay. We become an assistant in Green Bay. And I was at Georgia. He was had been an assistant at Georgia Tech. was his first job. Then he became an assistant for the Green Bay Packers. And I stayed in Atlanta. I had, was taking two graduate courses. The children were in school. The house was on the market. I had to keep the house clean all the time. And he left in January. And I stayed till the end of the school year. And with that going on, and it was just too much. I decided after that, we would never do that again. If he got a job in January, we would move in the middle of the year. That was a better thing to do because then you just put your kids in school. They find playmates. They get to know it. And you don't stay at home by yourself for four or five months trying to keep the house clean and trying to do everything. I will say this. My daughter said when she graduated from high school and went to college. Both of my kids went to the University of Virginia. I said, Kristen, I'm, her name is Kristen too, by the really? way. Okay. I said, I'm, <laughs> I said, I'm so sorry that we moved you around so much. She says, oh, mom, I wouldn't have had it any other way. And um, I think she learned to meet people. She had interesting experiences everywhere. And to this day, she loves to travel. She's very she she's the one that got her PhD. She's head of the English department at a private school here in Atlanta and has two girls of her own and I'm really proud of her. And our son is at Virginia. He he went to the University of Virginia. He now lives in Charlottesville and he has five boys and his oldest one is now a student at the University of Virginia. Oh, so uh, the legacy continues. For sure. So um, we're very blessed. Do you ever miss being a coach's wife? I miss, uh, I love the people, but I have so many people in my life now. I love the players, but we see the players. So I would say I don't miss being your coach's wife because uh, Bill was gone so much. Mm -hmm. um, Bill looks back on his coaching career and he says, I know I could have done it better. I could have found a way to be at home more. But I, I think there was a badge of honor that, you know, they just felt like they had to work these long, long days, and they do have so much preparation. Now we get to do a lot of things together, and we get to travel, and um, I remember one time we went Christmas shopping after he got out of coaching, and he said, I've never gone Christmas shopping with you. And <laughs> <laughs> you didn't, you know, there, that was, he loved that. Oh, I love Christmas. I love going Christmas shopping, and I'll have to decorate and all this stuff. I'd always done all that stuff by myself. Or with the kids, you know. Right. Um, but they just, and they miss a lot. He got to as many of our kids' activities as he could, but he missed some of them just because the team was out of town mm -hmm. and um, stuff like that. So I don't really miss coaching. If you ask Bill if he misses coaching, he says he misses the players. Mm -hmm. He loves the players and the coaches. He loves the camaraderie. I think now there's so much scrutiny in coaching. And see, we coach pretty much before social media. Uh, we, you had call-in radio shows and you had radio, you know, ra people would talk about your games and whether you won or lost and all that stuff on the football. But my other piece of advice to young wives 
um, coaches' wives is don't read the newspaper and don't listen to the radio mm-hmm. and don't look at social media because you just put bad things in your head. And so I went around as oblivious as possible. I knew we'd won the game or I knew we lost the game, but I didn't have to read what people were saying about my husband in the newspaper. And I just think reading in the social media would be devastating because you've got everybody has their opinion and some people don't know very much about football at all. And they don't understand what your husband's doing. And they don't have an appreciation for the X's and O's nor, you know, any of the inside information. And very often when there's a, some controversy going on in football and they're saying the coach is being criticized, Bill will always say, nobody knows what that coach knows. And there may be privacy issues involved. He can't tell the media that this kid did this or that, you know. He just got suspended or kicked off the team for discipline. And you don't tell what the discipline is, but he'll be criticized for that and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it really helped me when I quit, um, you know, and then if people would come up to me and try to tell me things, did you see what so-and-so wrote in the newspaper? I said, no, and don't tell me. That's good. <laughs> That's good. And I really, because you, you put it in your mind and you then do. you get upset. Because and we're real people. And then they're real people. And the other thing that happened to me, I'll tell you, and I'm probably telling you too many stories. Um, I wouldn't sit in the stands after a certain time. Meaning, um, I sat in the stands when Bill played professional football. I sat in the stands when he played college ball. Uh, when he got to be a head coach at these major universities, and I had to sit um, and hear what the people were saying, I started sitting upstairs in the press box. At Georgia Tech, Alabama, and Kentucky, I always sat upstairs because, again, people don't realize that the coach's wife or the coach's kid is sitting there and can hear what they're saying. And I have even introduced myself to people in the stands. I was at the University of North Carolina one time, and this man, we hadn't even started playing yet. <laughs> he started second, started talking about the coaches, and I said, I tapped him on the shoulder, and I said, excuse me, um, I'm Coach Curry's wife, and let's not have that today if you don't mind. I love it. I said it very politely. I love <laughs> and it. And then he looked really, he looked really hacked, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I didn't say anything else. Now, I have had a coach's wife tell me one time she did that, and it backfired. Oh, no. <laughs> and then he started getting bad. But I said, well, just get up and leave. Right. You know, you don't have to listen to it. But I think it's such a public profession. Mm-hmm. I think I've always said it's like being a politician's wife or um, a, a coach's wife, a politician's wife, and a minister's wife. They're very public, and everybody talks about, the games everybody I mean it's high school college professional it's the biggest thing in that little community and everybody's interested it's wonderful because it brings people together people are having fun but it's one of the worst things about it is this scrutiny and social media and talking and you know now they start websites for college coaches to try to get rid of them get them fired stuff like that Now, I hear you're writing another book. What's the topic of it? Well, my publisher has asked me to add a chapter to Suffering Grow Strong about what 
Ella Gertrude Clanton Thomas, my subject, died in 1907, and women didn't get the vote till 1920 with the passage of the 19th Amendment to the Constitution. And he wants me to add a chapter about what happened between her death and the passage of the amendment. And it is a fascinating story. It's real interesting. Um, Women were picketing the White House. Women were jailed. Women were force fed. I mean, people don't know the story of what some of the women went through, you know, to, to convince Woodrow Wilson and the House and Senate to pass or even bring up the amendment. And it's, uh, that's what I'm writing about now. And that's fun. And that's going to come out. Uh, I'm supposed to have that finished by April. And then I want to write a young adult book for of a biography of this woman. It's a young adult book that they can use in schools. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's great. Idea. I've been encouraged. I've been encouraged by teachers. They say, we don't have enough books about women and why don't you do a young adult biography about her? And so I'm working on that too. I'll do that after I finish this up. Oh, that would be great. I'd so, love my daughter to read that. Yeah. Well, you can always get my books on Amazon. Okay. Suffer and Grow Strong. A lot of people around the country got it through Amazon. And I went to New York and all up and down the East Coast. Went to Arkansas one time to talk about it. So it got a little bit of... Uh, travel time and maybe when the other one comes out we'll get more uh, you know publicity about it but um, it's an interesting story and we need to remember what women did to get the vote for women and that's the reason it's so important I tell every class I teach and every group of women I said these women work so hard to get the vote for you make sure you always go out and vote Mm. very important so I have some fast five questions for you you ready? Oh, okay. Those are always fun. These are fun. Okay. Something someone would be surprised to know about you. I have no ability to sing or anything like no talents in that area. <laughs> That's what my kids used to say. Mama don't sing. So yeah, I can't, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Is the we say. All right. Top few favorite places to watch a football game. Okay. My favorite place to watch a football game is on my sofa at home. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can see a game better, and Bill's the same way. We will go to games now, but, you know, um, and we've been to most stadiums in the country through the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of the pro stadiums, like we'll be watching a pro game, and Bill said, I, I haven't played in that stadium or coached in that stadium, or I have, you know. And um, I went with him when he was doing ESPN and so many games out of town, but now to sit at home and get a TV tray and have your dinner and watch a game. That's fun. If you could have dinner with anyone, <laughs> who would that be That's with? That's right. Well, now, I, I obviously have dinner with my husband, but he's my favorite person contemporary. But if you go back in history, I would love to have dinner with Ella Gertrude Clanton Thomas that I wrote her biography of, and I've been so fascinated with her. Or I'd like to have dinner with Eleanor Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated by her. So women, women in history, I can pick out a lot of women, but those two in particular. What is your favorite meal to cook? Salmon. Okay, I how do you love cook it? salmon. I cook it in the oven at 425 degrees for about 17 minutes. And it's put um, lemon juice and just a little uh, cracked pepper and sea salt and um, any kind of seasoning you want to put on it. And it's delicious, and it's very good for you. Ergle Nation there in about five hours. 
<laughs> do you ever give any football advice to Coach Curry when he was coaching? I never, ever gave any football advice. Uh, now, I have heard coaches' wives say that they used to ask them, why did you run that play there? And I just figured he had a reason, and he knows more than I do. Um, he would come and ask me sometimes. If he asked me, I would give my opinion on maybe a discipline or something like that. But I never made any comments about the X's and O's because I felt like he knew more than I did, and he did. Uh, and I, I felt like my job was to be a cheerleader. I was a cheerleader in high school when he played football. I was always a cheerleader. I always encouraged him and the players. And I felt that was my role. So much wisdom. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. This has been insightful, encouraging. You're one of the most intriguing women I think I've ever spoken with. I am just been blown away <laughs> here. I appreciate your time so much. Now you can visit Dr. Curry's websites, carolyncurry.net and womenalonetogether.org. Thank you so much for being a part of us today. Well, it has been delightful. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Kristen. Make sure to subscribe to the Coach's Wife Life podcast. And for a replay of this episode or previous episodes, visit coacheswifelife.org and follow us on social media at Coach's Wife Life.